Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, it is great having you guys at church. Welcome to everybody and you guys in Foley and Mobile. Great to have you with us as well. And of course, everybody online. What a great weekend to be at church. Doesn't it feel awesome outside? Just the weather is just perfect for those of you that like cold weather. Who doesn't like cold weather? Bah humbug. Cold weather is what's magical. Um, but it feels great outside. What a great time of year. Can you guys believe that next weekend is Merry Christmas Gulf Coast? Can you believe that? Saturday, less than a week away, Merry Christmas Gulf Coast. If you're not already signed up, you need to get signed up. Um, it is a magical day. It is absolutely the most wonderful day of the year. Um, and, and if you haven't given or pledged toward it, I just encourage you to do that as well. Um, what, a, what an amazing opportunity um, as a family to get to give toward something so wonderful. Um, but it's great having you guys. It's great seeing you. Um, and I get the next few minutes with you. And so I want to talk about um, a subject that's really probably more of a challenge than anything. Um, and, and, you know, we live in, in a world, in a, in a society that's completely different than, than in all of history. Um, and there's a little bit of a new normal that's in our world right now. There's a little bit of something that's completely unique to the last 10 to 15 years, um, and it just increases. Every single year, it increases more and more. Um, and, and I just came to realize in my own personal life that um, I find myself so distracted all the time, that I'm so busy. There's always something pulling on me. And, and I realize that the thing that we're missing in our world today is just simply focus. Um, you know, that there's just so many things pulling at us that the sense of focus is really nearing extinction. You know, I mean, it's, it's a very rare thing in our, in our world anymore. Um, between the technology, um, between the, you know, the worldwide interwebs, right? It's just this wonderful thing. Um, they're not bad things. They're wonderful things, but they pull us in so many different directions. You know, they call this the age of information, but really, from a slightly different light, you could call it the age of distraction. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that all of the information in the universe fits right here. It's so precious. It's so wonderful. Right? And we have to have our devices I mean, you know, that's like the new thing right now is everywhere you go, you even see people driving down the road and they've got half an eyeball on the road and then the other one and a half eyeball on their phone, right? And they're texting and they're watching and they're seeing and we're, we're glued to our devices. Why? There's some beautiful content out there. I mean, we're, we're, we're dealing with the highest quality content in the history of mankind right now. I mean, guys, we got Netflix. Come on. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I mean, binge watching television is an actual thing in our world today. Like you can actually binge watch seasons of TV. Come on, I think we can stay awake. We can watch one more season. Come on, I think we can do it. One more season of scandal. Come on, we can do it. Right? We can stay awake. Come on, we can make it. And that's an actual thing in our world. Like that's a conversation that we have. Where back in the olden days, you had to get up off the couch, walk over, and turn the knob on the television. You don't have to do any of that now. You don't even have to have cable television. You can get everything on the wonderful worldwide interweb, right? I mean, we're just bombarded with technology. It was just, it's like sensory overload. It's just anywhere we look, anywhere we go, we can have anything at our fingertips that we could possibly want. And I haven't even picked on social media yet. You know I'm going to pick on social media, 
right? Because some of you guys, I mean, you're so dialed into Facebook that you forget what your kids are having for breakfast. You don't even notice. Did you feed yourself? Good, because I'm on Facebook right now. I know what Susie Susie had. I know what Jimbo Jimbo had, but I don't know what my kid had for breakfast, right? Because we're just, I mean, you know, we're just locked into technology and everything's about that next like. Man, I got to, my post has got to get liked. My Instagram picture has got to get liked. And if it doesn't get liked, then I just don't think I can go on today. My day is over because only 27 people like that picture. That picture was worth 47 likes. (laughs) I mean, I got the angle. I was crouched down. I had the sun coming in. I did the duck lips. The selfie thing, right? It was like the most amazing picture ever. It only got 27 likes. Unbelievable. My day is ruined. But isn't that our life? Like so many of us, we're got, maybe Facebook's not your thing. Maybe duck face is not your thing, right? But we all have our thing that we're connected to, that we're tied to. You know, we don't even have real life conversations anymore. Like, we, the, you know, the, it's funny. This is called the iPhone, but the least used function on it is the phone, Right, because everything's texting, everything's Facebook, everything's another way of communicating other than actually talking. You know, it's completely normal in our world to go to a restaurant and see a family, an entire family sitting at a table, and the entire family is nose deep in a device. Whether it's video games, Netflix, you know, social media, reading the, I mean, good Lord, 24-7 news. I mean, come on, news junkies. Right? I mean, this is, this is a daydream. This is just awesome for you, right? You got it right there at your fingertips. And we're just, we're reading, we're connecting, we're, we're seeing what's going on everywhere else, but right there at our table. I mean, some of you, if you misplace your phone for more than a few minutes, you go into full-on panic attack as if you just lost your kid at Walmart. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, where'd he go? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, where is it? Somebody find it, quick, quick, quick. I mean, some of you don't even go 30 minutes without looking at your phone. It's sad. There's a, there is a new phobia. I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. There is a new phobia called nomophobia. It is the fear of being without your phone. That is a real thing. I'm not, I did not just make that up. That is a real thing. According to this study, 66% of adults suffer from nomophobia. 77% of 18 to 24-year-olds suffer from nomophobia. They cannot be without their device. They cannot be without their, their phone, their, their iPad, their phablet, whatever their thing is, right? Whatever their device is. That's a real word, by the way. I didn't just make that up either. Phablet. This is the way our world is. I mean, how many of you guys in the last, you've been here about 35 minutes. How many times have you looked at your phone? Since you've been in church, how many times have you just glanced and looked, somebody texted you, some, is somebody posting pictures from service today? Is somebody tweeting what Pastor Trey's saying? Right? I mean, how, how often are we doing that? We're just, we're sitting in church for 30 minutes and we're looking at our devices instead of being connected where you are. Why? Because we're distracted. Our sense of focus is messed up. Now, listen, none of those things are bad things. I love technology. I'm a huge fan of technology. I mean, I, you know, I love it, but there's a balance to it. We cannot forget the main thing. And listen, it doesn't stop. I know I'm, I'm just picking on technology, but it by no means stops at technology. I mean, the next the level really is our schedules. 
I mean, just think about your schedule in any given week, and the more kids you have, the more crazy it gets, right? I mean, it's just our schedules are so crazy, and we just we keep saying yes, and we keep adding on more things, and this kid wants to take piano, taekwondo, soccer, and, and gymnastics, and we say yes, but then the other four kids want to do the same amount of things, and you got, you know what I mean? And you're just always running and going, and then you, go, you got your career, and you want to grow in your career, so you're saying yes to your boss way more than you should be. You're traveling way more than you need to be, and moms are running wide open and you're having to keep a calendar for each kid. How many of you guys have a calendar on your phone for each kid? That is a problem, right? If you have, I mean, if your calendar is full and you want to set up a play date between three-year-olds and you go, hang on, let me check on Nora's calendar real quick. Well, she's already got this and she's already got that, right? But that's the world that we live in where we're just so busy. We're so, our, our lives are just so full of stuff. Our focus is off. I heard a story that um, I thought was just absolutely fascinating. Um, there was a man that went, um, a, a violinist that went down into the metro station in Washington, D.C. And he played for 45 minutes sitting in a corner of the subway station. And for 45 minutes, tens of thousands of people passed him while he played. And tens of thousands of people went by and only six people stopped and listened. Only six people. Now, this was a little bit of a study, and they were kind of taking notes on this. This wasn't just random. This man, his name is Joshua Bell. He's not just any violinist. He's one of the premier world-class violinists in the world. Top-notch. As a matter of fact, the violin he was playing is worth $3.5 million. Just two nights before, he had sold out a theater in Boston where the average ticket price was $125. And this man played six of the most intricate and complicated Bach pieces ever written. Six of the most beautiful pieces of art that have ever been written. And it's extremely complicated to play them on a violin. And he sat for 45 minutes and he played what he would have played at that Boston theater. He sat and he played and only six people stopped. Only six people heard the beauty that he created. And I thought, what a picture of our life. What a picture of every single day of our existence. Because there is a lot, of, a lot of moments of beauty that God wants you to see. There are a lot of promises. There are a lot of words of truth. There are a lot of things that God wants you to be a part of. A lot of great God opportunities just waiting for you. But we're so busy. We're so, we're so focused on the wrong thing. We're distracted and we're moving after all these other things and we're missing the beauty. We're missing the main thing. You know, we're, we have a vision for our family. Hopefully you have a vision for your family. Hopefully you have a vision for your finances. But those things just kind of get pushed to the side because of all the stuff that we fill our life up with. How in the world can we possibly hear God? How can we possibly see the blessings of God? How can we realize that's a blessing of God? How can we realize that's the voice of God? How can we realize this is the beauty of God in this moment, in this place, when I'm running and I'm going and I'm, and I'm nose deep in someone else's life that you don't even like? You didn't like him in high school. Why do you think you like him now? But we're so concerned with everybody else and everything else and all the news and all the stuff. And we get all deep into it and we forget the main thing. We forget the main thing. You know, one of the, um, one of the least at, um, talked about attributes of Jesus was his sense of focus. 
least talked about, because we talk about the grace, we talk about the mercy and the love, we talk about all these things that Jesus was. But when you really think about it, there's this underlying current of focus. Because without his focus, none of those other things could have come about. Without his focus, the cross would have never happened. Without him staying on task, staying on mission, not allowing anything to pull his focus, nothing else would have possibly happened. But Jesus was a man of focus. He knew why he was on this earth. He knew the reason he was on this earth was beyond himself. It was more than his own pleasure. It was more than his own desires. It was more than what he could get his hands on. It was for a bigger purpose, a greater purpose. And you see all through the New Testament, all through his life, the Gospels, you see that his enemies, of course, were trying to distract him and pull him away and and thwart his plans. But, of course, even his disciples did. You see story after story of the disciples going, but Jesus, wouldn't this be easier? But Jesus, isn't this a better idea? But Jesus, what what if we did this? And every single time Jesus stays laser-focused, this is why I'm on this earth. This is the reason I'm here. It's not to make you happy. It's this mission. It's this focus. There's one particular story um, of, of Peter. When Peter was, uh, well, actually, Jesus was kind of unveiling the next phase of ministry. Um, and he was talking about that he was going to suffer and he was going to die and, and, and what all this meant. And the Bible says that Peter actually called him out, actually said, Jesus, can I, can I talk to you for a second over here? And he rebuked him. Just let that sink in for a second. If you've never thought about that before, he asked the son of, he called the son of man out. There's 12 guys standing. He goes, hey, can I, let me talk to you for a second. And he rebuked him and he said, no, 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 that's not the way this is going to happen. You're the king of kings, man. You can walk in, you can wipe it all out. Easy peasy done, right? Just easy. And Jesus looks him dead in the eyeball and he said, get behind me, Satan. Peter had great intentions, man. He didn't want Jesus to die. He didn't want Jesus to suffer. He said, hey, look, there's another way. What if we could accomplish this a different way? And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Who do you think you are? He goes on and he says, you have the mind of man, not the mind of God. He said, you're more concerned with what man wants than what God wants. He said, get behind me, Satan. There's a story when Jesus is on the cross. He's dying for us. He's completing his mission on this earth. And the, and the people there are saying, hey, come on, come down. Man, come, come down off the cross. Save yourself. And the Bible says that he could have. He could have called legions of angels from heaven to rescue him, but he didn't. He could have called angels to come and annihilate all the darkness. And not, I mean, just everything, but his mission would not have been complete. He wouldn't have saved us. And he was focused. He knew why he was here. Do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're here? I admire that about Jesus, man. He was laser focused on who he was. Why God put him on this earth. The things that God had spoken into him. The things that God had called out of him. The blessing, the promise, all those things. He didn't allow any other man to affect that. You know, a lot of our distractions just come from other people, right? Other people's expectations, other people's wants. You know, I, read a, I heard a bumper sticker one time that said, that said, God loves you and everyone else has a wonderful plan for your life, <laughs> right? <clears throat> right? Because everybody thinks that they know what's best for you and everybody has expectations for you. And then we 
you know, then we get into that comparison thing, which is, which is really some of the negative that comes with social media. Because the negative that comes with that world is because you see, you see the highlight reel that someone else posted on Facebook and, and you compare your own life to it. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're running, you're distracted because of what someone else is posting. And let me just cut to the chase. Everybody's messed up. They're just as messed up as you are. They're just better at painting a prettier picture. Right? Because everybody's messed up. They're just lying on Facebook. They're just bold-faced lying. It's a great day, but really they're kicking the dog. And they're angry with this, angry with that. But yet we live our life distracted by that. By, distracted by everyone else's expectations of who we are, what we should do, and the way that we should act. We're pulled in so many different directions. How in the world could we possibly be laser-focused on the mission and the call of God if we're pulled in so many different directions, so many expectations, so many ideas? We're constantly, all this information and all this stuff, and yet God's going, hey, don't forget who I said you are. Hey, don't forget the reason that you're here. Hey, don't forget how much I love you. Hey, don't forget the blessings. Hey, don't forget the promises. But yet we're running and we're running and we're running in so many different directions that we're being pulled apart. Here's a great picture for this. It's a little bit disgusting, so bear with me. Okay? As I was looking at this and seeing this, I came across um, some torture techniques in the Middle Ages. Okay? <clears throat> in the Middle Ages, they were just, they were extremely creative, but extremely barbaric in some of the methods of torture that they used. And one particular one, you've heard of it before, one particular one, they would lay the victim down and they would tie a horse to each of the four limbs. They would crack a whip and they would let those horses run in four different directions. And so you can just imagine that's a terrible, terrible way to die. Painful, horrible way to die. And as I was looking at this, what, what, what I came across was the name that the French gave that form of torture. Now, we call it something, but the French gave it a name, and they named it distraction. When the French looked at that and they adopted that form of torture, they looked at it and they said, let's call it distraction. Now, just let that sink in a little bit. Some of you may not be dead from distraction yet, but that's where you're going. Because you're being pulled aimlessly reacting to so many different things that bring no life to you. It's only inevitable that death is on its way. That death is the only outcome. Spiritually, your destiny, your vision, everything because you're pulled in so many opposite directions that how could you possibly go in the right direction? How could you possibly move in the direction that he wants you to go? I think most of us know that feeling, maybe not to the point of death, but you, you sense that feeling of just being pulled to the point of just sometimes you reach that, that point where you're just like, I can't take anymore. I can't go anymore. I can't do anymore. And you just shut down. You just lock it all down and you say, I'm done. I'm done. God doesn't want us to live that way. You know, technology, social media, all these kind of things, they're a really great servant, but they're a terrible master. They're awesome when you want to use them for the right things, in balance and in moderation and all that kind of stuff. But when it becomes your life, when your schedule, when the busyness just becomes your life, it just kills you. John 10, 10, a very famous verse says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. You know, it's very seldom that he comes at gunpoint to destroy your life. 
It's very seldom that he comes with this big, blatant, obvious explosion of sorts to destroy your life. No, he works very cunning, very sly, very deceptive, and he does it mostly through distraction. If he can get your eyes off the main thing, then he can strike, then he can kill you. He can take away the main thing that God put you on this earth to do. They're killing us. Distractions are killing our joy, our families. They're killing our finances. They're killing our life because we're pulled in so many different directions. Um, there's, a, there's a story that Jesus told that I think speaks to this. Um, and maybe it's a little bit of a different way of looking at it, um, but it's the parable of the sower. And you, most of you guys, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably have heard this or read this before. Um, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it a little bit quick because I'm almost out of time. So I'm just going to kind of, kind of read through it real quick. But hopefully you know this. If not, it's in Matthew 13, so you can go back later and read it. But, um, but I think in a way this speaks to where we are. And I think this speaks a lot to, uh, to distraction. My, Matthew 13, 1 uh, through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Now Jesus, you guys know Jesus told a lot of parables. He told these stories to help people understand the kingdom of God. Um, and so this was a very, this was an agricultural society. So he's speaking in their language, um, but he goes on to explain it a little bit more in verse 18. Um, and, and this is what he says to the disciples. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. <laughs> But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed uh, falling on the, among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, we've always heard this story that each of those different types of soil represent a different type of person, the way that they initially receive the word of God. So the rocky soil, right, they, they spring up quick, they get excited really, really quick, but then they, there is no root, so they wither. Um, you know, it's too hard, it's too difficult, they don't make it. And then, of course, you know, you go through all four of them, and the fourth one is the fertile soil, which we all kind of see, secretly and silently think that we are, right? But this week, I, I kind of had a different way of looking at this. I kind of thought, what if... What if we're not one of these, but what if at any given time we could be all four? What if at any given time we could be any of these four conditions of the heart? Right? Because once I'm fertile soil the first time doesn't mean I'm always fertile soil necessarily. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a morning person, so there's a real good chance that between 6 and 9 a.m., I'm fertile soil. I'm up. I'm having my coffee. I'm reading the Word. I'm, I'm spending some time with God. I'm fertile soil. But by noon, and unexpected things happen. I get a phone call. I get an email. Something goes wrong. Or this happens. I got a kid sick or something, and it throws me off. By that point, I could be a little rocky. 
But by five o'clock, when all hell is broken loose or whatever, I could potentially be a very thorny heart by that time, right? Does that make sense? So at any given day or given week, we could potentially be any of those conditions, any of those heart conditions, just depending on our world. And so as I saw this, I realized that because of this, there are some very, very easy ways that distractions get into our heart, that distractions affect our lives. And so I want to go through these. I've got four things here and kind of in spirit of the four horses that pull you apart. Um, There are four things real quick that I want to look at that I think distractions just tear us apart. They kill us. And the first one is that seed that fell on the path. That fell on the path. The word says that that seed got snatched by the birds of the air. That seed never even had a chance to sink into the soil because it was snatched. I mean, so many of you have a feeling that you sit in church every single week, but before you even get to your car, get to your house, the seed was snatched from your life. You get out here and and somebody cuts you off at the road, you get angry, the seed is snatched. That seed never even has a chance to sink into your life because it's snatched. I mean, every single year, the older that I get, the more difficult it is for me to get a thought from here to here. Right? I mean, it just gets more and more difficult to take a note, to write something down, Bob, because those things are just being snatched. And I don't know what the birds in your life are, but we all have birds that are snatching those seeds, that are taking those things away. And what's so crazy about this is the, about the seed that's getting snatched is that you never really know what that seed could have been because it was snatched in seed form. It was snatched before it ever even had a chance to bloom, before it ever even had a chance to sprout, before you ever even knew, is this a pretty flower or is this a disgusting flower? Right? You don't even know. It's a seed and it's already gone. To me, probably one of the biggest birds in my life and in probably most of our lives is opportunities. And good opportunities. Because bad opportunities are not That's not a bird. You're not going to take a bad opportunity. But a good opportunity will rob you of a great opportunity every single time. And so we, our biggest enemy is just good opportunity sometimes. Because we have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to be out and working every single night of the week if I wanted to. All in the sake of good opportunities. It would be very easy to do that. Hanging out with this guy, going fishing with this guy. I need to study. I got a counseling appointment. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to to prepare for a sermon. I mean, they're all good things, but I could fill my life up with good things. And it's the enemy of great things. More often than not, it's the good things that have the greatest potential to distract you from the best things. We got to learn to cipher through, to get rid of some of that stuff, because those opportunities are snatching the main thing, they're snatching the seed, the word of God, the truth of God, and we become busy but barren. We become busy but barren. We're really, really busy. We're doing a whole lot, but there's nothing growing. There's nothing coming up because all that seed was snatched. All that stuff was taken away. The second thing is this. It's the seed that springs up quickly. It's on the rocky soil, and it, is, um, it gets scorched. It gets scorched, and it gets scorched when the sun comes up because it has no root. Some of you are easily distracted simply because you have no root. You're superficial. You're shallow. There's no, there's no root system. There's nothing that you believe in. There's no principles. There's nothing that you just would die for. The root represents what you're anchored to, what you're committed to, what you know to be true, what you will, what you will live and die by. And some of you have none. When it comes to raising your kids, when it comes to living your life, when it comes to the vision that God has for you, you have no root. 
You care a whole lot more about what some friend from high school had for lunch than you care about who your kids are hanging out with. You don't even know who your kids are hanging out with, but doggone, you know who, what she had for lunch. And you know it looked better than your lunch. And you're mad about it. Right? Because you have no root. You have no root system. And the problem is it, it gives the appearance that there's life because it springs up quickly. And there's an appearance that there's actually life there when there is no life. There's an appearance that there's productivity there, but it's not productive. It gives you the appearance that there's something there that's not there. We see this all the time. We see this in so many lives. The sun comes up, the heat gets turned on, and the life withers. There is no root. There is nothing that you truly are committed to and believe in. Something as simple as going to church on a consistent basis. I mean, it's so easy to come up with reasons not to go to church, right? It's so easy. But in, in our world, that's a normal thing. I mean, some of you guys ask your 13-year-old kid if they want to go to church today, and that's how you decide if you're going to go to church. You need a root system. Because what are you teaching your kid? You're teaching your kid that everything else is more important. There is no root system. I mean, it's the same thing with getting healthy. Every single year you say, I'm going to get healthy, right? But you don't have any roots in that. You just say it. So the very first time somebody passes a plate of cupcakes, guess what? You're going to eat a cupcake. Because you got no root system. You haven't committed. You haven't dug in. You haven't said, this is a principle I'm going to live by. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to live life differently. But if you don't do that, you just say, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to raise good kids. But if you don't make the decision, I'm going to have them in church. I'm going to have devotions with them on a daily basis. We're going to pray together. I'm going to teach them how to make good decisions. If you don't dig in deep and go, this is how I'm going to commit to raising healthy kids. Not going, man, I just hope I have healthy kids. Man, I just hope I have God-fearing kids. Man, I just hope my kids love Jesus. But then you're out running the roads every single weekend playing travel ball. Guess what? You're teaching them that travel ball is more important than God. You're teaching them that everything else. And then what happens when they get to college? What happens when they have a professor that, that, that tries to debunk their faith? What happens when everything else at college looks more appealing? What happens when they go through one wife, two wives, three wives? And all along, they just keep thinking everything else is more important than God because they have no root system. It's your responsibility to establish a root system. What is it that you want from life? Establish a root system, something deep, something that, that just digs into the ground that you're committed to, tethered to, that will not shake, that will not falter, that will not fall apart. And I went way overboard on that one. All right, number three. I'm out of time. Number three, this is the seed that's in the thorns and it gets choked. It gets choked. Matthew 13 says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out. Notice that it says the worries of this life kill it, not the responsibilities of this life. There are some of you that are easily distracted um, just simply because you're thinking differently than you should be. Some of you are just being distracted and killed because you're eaten up with worry. Some of you are distracted, not by the things that are actually happening, but by the way you interpret the things that are actually happening. You're so worried about what your kid may do four or five years from now that you're paralyzed to act now. You're so worried about what may happen with your job. You're so worried that you may get fired that you're paralyzed and you don't do the right thing now. You're so worried that you just get stuck. You get choked out. You get suffocated right where you are. The second part of that is the deceitfulness of wealth. You know, we like to think, well, that's just all the rich people. They love their money. It's not. 
It's not at all. You know, the Bible says that the, the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, not just money, the love of money. And I know and you know people that are dirt poor that are more obsessed with money than some people that have money. Because they think getting money is going to fix all their problems. If I could just get more stuff, if I could just have a bigger house, if I could just have more money, then my problems will go away. That is the trick of the enemy. You're being choked out. You're being distracted by the sense that your problems will be solved if you could just get some money. If you could just get some stuff. Some of you are traveling the world. You're running yourself ragged, trying to make more money for your kids when really all they want is for you to be at home. Really, all they want is you. They don't want you out running the road so that you can buy more stuff. They just want more of you. The deceitfulness of wealth will choke us out. Now, the fourth thing, of course, the fourth soil in that story is the, is the good one, is the fertile soil. So I went ahead a little bit further, and there's another parable about a sower and some seed. So I want to read this verse to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did all these weeds come from? And he said, An enemy did it. It's very, very interesting because we've talked about this over and over today. You have a destiny, you have a plan, you have a vision for your life. Whether you know it or not, God has a destiny for your life. And the enemy, what he wants more than anything else is to, is to steal it, to kill it, and to destroy it. It's what he wants more than anything. But he can't. He can't destroy it. But what he can do is he can plant seeds right next to your destiny that will get your attention. What he can do is he can plant weeds right next to that destiny in hopes that you'll take your eyes off of your destiny and look at that weed. In hopes that that weed will ultimately be the main thing in your life. He can't kill your destiny, but he can, get, he can try his best to get your eyes off of it. He can try to plant some seeds of bitterness, some seeds of fear, some seeds of worry, some seeds of lust in your life so that as that destiny grows, so that weed grows. And when it's time for you to walk in your destiny, you have two options. And so many times the weed takes over the wheat. And you can't even see the weed anymore. You can't even see the thing, that, the thing that was harvested. You can't even see it anymore because you're so consumed with the weed. You know, one of the, one of the worst things in the world for most people is weeding their flower beds. Right? Most people can't stand it. I actually don't mind it one bit. And I'll tell you why I don't mind it one bit. It's because I do it every single week. There is not a week that goes by that I don't weed my flower all the way around my house. And you know how long it takes me every single Saturday? Five minutes five minutes. But if I go four or five months and I walk outside and I look at the forest of weeds in my flower bed, I go, mm, that's another day. Nope, not going to do that one. But if I'm consistent, and the word also says that it was while they were asleep. If I stay awake and I keep my eyes on the prize, I keep my eyes on what I'm supposed to do. And every single time I see a weed begin to sprout, I go over there and I pull it out and I stay on top of it. And I'm consistent and I'm following him and I'm going, God, show me the weeds. God, show me the things that, are, that the enemy is trying his best to plant in. You know, just, just when you're, you, know, you get frustrated at work or, 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 or the wrong thing happens or this happens, whatever, and there's that seed that's dropped. God, show me these things. Let's pull those weeds out now. So that that bed stays healthy, your life stays healthy, that destiny grows and it grows strong, it grows beautiful, and God can do what he wants to do in you and through you. 
Distraction kills us. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, we all know this verse. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says this, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all that you are, love the Lord your God. Focus on him. Focus on what he wants for you. One last quick thing. I'm out of time. One last quick thing. You know, I I think I said this at the very beginning, but our society is not going to slow down. You know, this this age of distraction, it's not going to slow down. It's not going to stop. And that's not a bad thing. You know, we're we're advancing. People are inventing and creating, and and, and that's that's a wonderful thing. But we have got to decide to stay focused on the main thing in the midst of it all. But more importantly, you've got to learn now that you're teaching your kids, you're teaching the next generation how to do that. Because the generation that's growing up now, the 8, 9, 10, 12-year-olds that already have devices, that are already learning these things, they're already connected to these things, they're watching you. They're learning from you. And as you make decisions, as you prioritize, as you look to Jesus or you don't look to Jesus, they're learning from you. You're the greatest teacher in their life. And it would be a shame for us to raise up an entire generation of of Bible-believing, God-fearing kids, teenagers to young adults that are distracted. They can't, can't, you know, our our attention spans get shorter and shorter every single year. These young kids that are coming up, those attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. What What does that look like in 15 years? What does that look like in 10 years? Now is the time, man. We've got to make some decisions. We've got to make some changes. Be present. Be present with your family. Be tuned in. Be dialed in. Teach them. Teach them how to make good decisions. Teach them how to prioritize. Teach them good versus evil and not just in the big, ugly, nasty things. Teach them how to prioritize. Teach them how to focus on Jesus. Take time to talk. Take time to ask questions. Take time to sit eyeball to eyeball and go, hey, Son, daughter, what are you dealing with? What can I help you with? Is there anything you're going through? Because most of us probably don't do that. You know, back in the, back in the old days when the table was sacred and at dinner time, right, everybody went to the kitchen table and everybody ate dinner together. And there was that time, whether it was in some families, maybe a negative thing, but it was still time together. We've gotten away from that. And there has to be that. If not, you will not raise up the next generation. You will not raise them up right. You will not raise them up to be focused on who God says that they are. I'm done. I hope that you receive this. I really pray that this seed does not get snatched. I really pray that this sinks in, that you you can take a second and you can just sit here and just let it just soak in. And no, man, listen to my heart. No, I'm not. I'm not telling you to throw your phone in the garbage can on the way out. I'm not, because I'm not going to do that. But be balanced. Think. Be focused on God's heart for you, the promises of God, the truth of God. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that this challenge was received. And God, that the seed of this challenge will not be snatched. 
But God, that we will stay true to you, that we will stay focused on you. God, that we will, God, that we'll take on your sense, that, that, laser, that laser focus, God, that you had, that Jesus had as he walked this earth, that nothing would stop him from being the man of God that you called him to be. God, let us have that sense of focus. God, remind us of that daily. God, let us not you know, live any of these conditions of heart. Let us not um, be distracted in all these different ways, but help us to be focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen.